who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hello, everyone. I'm Christoph Laputka, and this is Leviathan Presents. It's a segment where we highlight one audio fiction creator, have a conversation, and then play a full episode of their show right here in our feed. I hope you'll enjoy today's guest. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. This is Leviathan Presents. Welcome to another episode of Leviathan Presents, and I am here with Maximilian Clark of Superhuman Public Radio. Max, great to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Christoph. <laughs> no, no, it is great uh, to be here. I've been looking forward to this all month. Uh, well, Max and I met at the New Jersey WebFest, and I got to learn a little bit about Superhuman Public Radio, which is a fantastic new audio drama podcast that I didn't know about beforehand, and I had become obsessed with because the premise and the execution is so great. Um, would you please tell our listeners, Max, a little bit about what Superhuman Public Radio is and how you came up with the idea for it? Yeah, absolutely. So SBR is not a parody, but it is a satire of our world. Basically, we wanted to take our loves of uh, public radio and comic books and sort of smash them together and create content that makes it feel like you actually are in a superhero world. You turn it on and you turn off your brain and you're like, oh yeah, I am in a world that is filled with grappling hook disasters, invisible cars, and doppelgangers invading the country. And we uh, do our best to make like a fun, immersive, <laughs> take big swings at a new cycle and, uh, and you know, just create touching, emotionally driven, character-based stories that excite the mind and you know, embolden the heart. I, 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 I did it in pre-planned. <laughs> well, you know, but one of the things you talk about is this immersion into what if superheroes were here, how realistically can we portray them? And I think you do that 
so unbelievably well through your parody of national public radio of NPR. Um, I'm an NPR fan. I know many are, certainly in the audio world. Tell us a little bit about how you set about creating a fictional public radio station dedicated to chronicling superhuman events around the country, around the world. Well, actually, uh, me and my partner, Jack Dorsey, were set up to produced this superhero web series. We had the beginning of the cast, we had costumes made, and uh, this was early 2020. And uh, it was about a superhero uh, surviving in the gig economy. Uh, and so basically, you know, there's an app where you get staffed if you're not like a name superhero. It's like, you know, farm teams. Like like a Fiverr almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, if you need someone to like lift up the side of your house so so you can uh, <laughs> yeah exactly and it is exactly that kind of stuff it was a really fun project and then the pandemic hit and so you know goodbye all independent filmmaking for a little while and we were just in the habit of talking every week and jack had this story that was like a joke that he wrote into a project of his of spr it was just like a little background joke something you won't even notice and uh, we got to talking and we fleshed it out and it became first our pandemic project to keep all of our actor friends busy. And we just built it out. We uh, started with the news and I think These American Supers was our uh, first swing, which is This American Life. And then we uh, built up a bunch of other segments because we kept wanting to go bigger and bigger with it. And you've got to say what some of those other segments are oh. because they're so funny. Yeah. So we have 100% Invisible, which is Roman Mars is 99% Invisible, except for our host. Best name swap in the series, Ares Greco. Because <laughs> I mean, Roman Mars is a superhero name to begin with. <laughs> totally. Um, this season we have Sequen which is a take on cereal. We have the utility belt, which is basically our version of car talk, except for instead of two brothers, it's a old retired henchman and a boy genius. And they help, you know, with your supercar and things like that. That's a lot of fun because like, you know, if you've ever listened to car talk, you know, they spend 80% of their time just laughing at their own jokes. And when someone is hanging off the side of a building or trying to defuse a bomb, that kind of patter <laughs> kind of becomes... Uh, a liability. Uh, and we have The Speech Bubble, which is our interview show with Kelly Close, who's a little like Terry Gross. You know, it's, it's funny, like, we do all these name swaps and, like, references, but it, nothing is one-to-one. -one. I, I realized early on that I hate direct parody. So, like, we're not making fun of Ira Glass at any point. Mm -hmm. We are taking the spirit of their show to tell our own original stories. And then we have our news breaks. And you do these fictional ads that are so funny. I mean, the deliveries are so realistic. It'd be forgiven for not realizing you weren't listening to NPR. When you look at the news and you see all the craziness going on in the world, what elements are you instinctively drawn to to make fun of or poke holes in or, you know, put a superhero slant on them? You know, it, it comes from all sorts of different things. Jack does a lot of storylines that are based in comic runs and just doing, like, he takes a comic run and pairs it to something he's angry about in the world. This season we have a segment that's based off of kind of Starbucks. Remember uh, last year where all the Starbucks were unionizing? Yeah, 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 sure. And the CEO is just like, hey, we love our employees. But unfortunately, this branch has to close because uh, it's in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> and also, don't try that again. And so this season, we have the same thing happening with one of the henchmen apps mm -hmm. called Lackey, L-A-K-Y. And they're trying to unionize. And so their boss is trying to stop it through money and liquefying some people. <laughs> and we have a segment where we're just like boots on the ground, like following the vote. And basically just like, I don't know, we just constantly find things that we're angry about and we want to talk about. But when you mask it under all the superhero stuff, it's easier to have 
these conversations mm-hmm. and it's easier to go big with the more political points we're taking. And also sometimes, I don't know, I'm just like looking at a cool tree and I'm like, I'm going to do a segment about a tree. <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff. It's great. We got to bring in some more writers this year and get more perspectives. It's been really fantastic. You are, you know, art imitating life. Have you written some things that then you've seen like become true in the news that like have gone the other way? Like, <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like it happens, you know, like it his- happens more often than people think. History is cyclical. You know, people talk about dystopian, like they talk about like, oh, 1984 is coming through. How prescient. And it's like, you have to remember these people are writing about the present, right? Like the things they're bad about now, it's just. Then it comes up again. Right. You know, we wrote season one in 2020, and so there's a lot of stuff about immigration. Our first news story is our version of Superman gets deported <laughs> uh, so because good. he's never naturalized as a U.S. citizen. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, there's some bad things that happened in season two that might happen still, but we're hoping against it. Uh, <laughs> to avoid spoilers, I don't want to get into much. But, yeah, there's a lot of give and take with what's really happening. Well, you made an interesting point about spoilers. Talking about SPR, which is now on its second season, when people listen to it, should they expect that they are standalone episodes or are there common narrative themes that come up from show to show? This season is a lot more serialized. Um, The new segments always build on each other. So it's always best to listen to SPR front to back. Mm -hmm. But the segments, like when we're doing these American Supers or 100% Invisible, it's 50-50. A lot of them are standalones, but everything is made better if you have the knowledge of the lore. Like, the, <laughs> the, the more lore you accumulate, the uh, smarter our show seems. <laughs> yeah, we have just, we have so many facts. Actually, you can see uh, behind me this map. Uh, I have a map of the United States on my wall that has little post-it uh, stickers for every one of our news stories, just so we can remember what happened there, what heroes have there. Yeah, That's great. For folks listening on audio, I've got a camera into Max's living room right now. There is exactly that. There's a map, and it looks like... Um, it looks like you've organized where the stories would be. It also looks like where the way a serial killer might kind of map out which way <laughs> they would go. So I think that's really cool <laughs> to see that behind you. Chris, um, I'm a little scared. Chris, but I'm I... a serial killer. That's ridiculous. I don't even eat cereal. <laughs> now, one of the segments you were talking about before is Thought Bubble. Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, yeah. which is, you know, an obvious reference to the comic book world. What were your comic influences in SPR? Did you read comics a lot growing up? What were your favorites? Yeah, I, I was um, a big comic book guy in the, the, I guess they call it the Silver Age, but boom. I mean, it's a, it's a good issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, uh, it's fine. Uh, Jack's giving me two weeks off of uh, the show. We're taking a mid-season break right now. And our first behind the scene is like an hour of just like comic dumping. Uh, <laughs> and so if you're looking for recommendations of comics and you don't mind hanging out with us for like an hour and 20 minutes, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Jack is definitely more comic boy than I am. I grew up just sort of getting whatever I could get my hands on. It turned out to be a lot of amazing Spider-Man and like random stuff from the library. Because they had it, I have read the complete Adam Warlock, even though that is probably the worst superhero (laughs) of all time. There's been this like Christification of Superman, but Warlock Mm -hmm. did it first. He literally comes down like, for sure. I'll save you, Adam Warlock (laughs) on Counter Earth. Um, There's a lot of Watchmen in our current season. Uh, Vision plays a big role, the Vision run. I have no memory for authors or artists. That's that's always a Jack question. But we take it from like all levels of comic media, like a lot of the 90s Marvel cartoons. and actually, our sequential is based off of the uh, the Killing Joke, which, for people who don't know, is a famous Batman graphic novel series. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that if you know nothing about comic books, you're totally good. 
because <laughs> all the background stuff you've accumulated will make the world make sense. And it's not about comic books. It's about the world. We all live here. Uh, but the more stuff you know about comics, the, uh, again, the better. The more lore, I don't know how many times I can say this, <laughs> you, you absorb lore and the show suddenly becomes so much smarter. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an NPR fan or a comic books fan, like you deliver, you know, in both punches. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one of my favorite segments from uh, season one is a speech bubble where they're interviewing a woman who is rescued 360 times by the hero Avalantris. And she hasn't put together that that hero is her fiance, Jen. <laughs> and she's like, you know, they've never been in the same place at the same time. So I guess they both feel awkward about it. And, <laughs> and so like, like, you know, if you have that level of comic knowledge where you're like, I understand why that's funny. You're going to love the show. It's great. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about the craft of audio drama and how you went about making SPR sound like you're listening to National Public Radio. What were some of your production goals in terms of making it sound so realistic, which it does? Yeah, well, like I said, we want to pull a magic trick on our audience. We want them to literally escape into this world. And I think a lot of that just starts at casting. Our first season has like 55 actors. Huge cast. Huge. But, you know, we wanted to like really make it feel like a big diverse world. Mm -hmm. I got to cast people who have like very weird and specific voices and give them parts that they normally wouldn't get. And it was so much fun to bring them in on that. We have, I would say, extremely diverse uh, cast, not only of ethnicities and backgrounds, but like age. Uh, we have a lot of older actors in there, uh, which I feel like they don't often get enough work i think you're uh, right which is I think you're right which is a shame and but it's one of those things that like put, hearing those voices on the show you're like oh this guy was there he saw crisis crash his golden jet <laughs> and i think that's always the first level and it's those like little secret sound effects that your brain doesn't fully register that i think is always an important part of sound design for me mm -hmm. when we started this this is our chance to really make like superhero movies like I, I, I guess if Marvel continues at this pace, there's a chance I get might get to helm one in the, in the next 10 years. But otherwise, like, you know, this is our shot. And we really, like, wanted to think of, like, okay, you know, how do we sell this? How do we make the theater of the mind, like, really come alive and sparkle? And I, like, sometimes, like, there are the spotlight effects. Like, in season two, we have a girl who throws a school bus with her hair. <laughs> and I spent literally three days coming back, and I'm like, what does hair sound like when you pull it that hard? <laughs> and like, if you nail one of those and everything else is accurate, you have your baseline walla in there, you have your background people, your crowds, then, you know, then it all just sort of like comes together in your mind, and you're just like, yes, that is what it sounds like when someone punches someone with a giant hand made of ice. <laughs> well, it's not just, I mean, you do some of the fantastical effects so well, but like the mundane ones, like the news jingles, you do those so well. Yes. This is a Jack find. Jack has a couple of composer friends that he brought into season one, and I have worked with them, and they are wonderful, and I know their names. I know their names so well that, you know, if you're hearing clicking in the background of my recording, it is only because I want to take the appropriate amount of time to remember Rock Lee and Steven Munoz. Munoz, I believe it's Munoz. We should have the little Enya over his last name. Uh, yeah, our main theme was uh, Rock Lee, who did, yeah, just an amazing job. And yeah, our utility belt theme and our speech bubble theme were Steven Munoz. And those were fun so because good. we blended, like our utility belt theme is Batman played on a banjo, <laughs> uh, basically. It's like a major key Batman. 
And Speech Bubble has like the Incredibles kind of horns in there. So everything kind of reminds you of something. But in that Mm -hmm. like, oh, you look like someone I know kind of Mm -hmm. way, right? It's not, you know, you're not wearing a costume. You just kind of look like the guy, right? Sometimes you just get lucky. Like I just found our sequential theme, which really sounds like the serial theme, but just like, not quite. Just a notch off, right? The power suggestion. Now, um, tell us a little bit about the episode that we're going to be listening to today, how it fits in, and why you chose this episode to be played today. Yeah, this is season one, episode five. And so a few things have happened. I basically chose it because you're letting me set it up, right? So I could draw you right into it. Usually you have to listen to four episodes in order to understand what's happening. So one of the big things, remember when Amazon was looking for a new headquarters and they invited all these cities to apply? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, hey, cities, why don't you just send us all the data you have on all your demographics and things so we could decide whether our headquarters belongs there. And they had already signed contracts. They knew they were building in New York and in Arlington, Virginia. This was a total ruse. So that's one of our storylines in season one is the Heroic Legion is looking for a place to build its second tower, Tower 2. Which is and, like your uh, Justice League kind of surrogate, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, it's like more adventures just because of the corporate structure, I guess. Sure. <laughs> and so this is like, it, it, it's fun because it starts with like a little news panel about like the ethics involved in the Heroic Legion's ask. But it also has two of my favorite segments of the early season, which is why I wanted to do it. And some exciting action in the news cycle. Um, Yeah, and it's just like, it's a great Stephen Singh episode. Stephen Singh is our uh, main newscaster in season one, and it is heavily implied that he has another job that is more secret. Um, uh, He just never seems to be in the same place as Quantum, the ultimate speedster. Uh, So we have that going on. We also have a 100% Invisible episode about the invisible car, which is a terrible invention. Yeah, it's like an invisible car in Chicago. How how would it avoid getting in accidents? And it's like, no, it doesn't. Every every red light. Yeah, just absolutely crushed. And it's a great segment of that. And then the second half we have... The question, which is about a guy in the C-suite of a Fortune 500 company who has to retire early because he's obsessed with this question, which is, are we supervillains? <laughs> it starts with him flying over the rainforest, which had just been saved the week before by our version of Captain Planet. And he's watching his company tear it down. And he's just like, yo, this is exactly what that supervillain wanted to do. We're just making money off of it. And it like, it destroys his life. And it's just a, such a fun episode. There's a lot of stuff going on. Great performances out of uh, Danny Gavigan and um, Henry Packer. Just, it's a really good showcase of everything that the show has. Well, I'm really excited to play this for our audience. Um, so without any further ado, we're going to be playing episode five from season one of Superhuman Public Radio. Maximilian Clark, thank you so much for joining us. Let's play the episode. This is SPR. The superhero Permafrost, known for her epic confrontations with Poison Oak, is on the lookout for a new base of operations after her Antarctic fortress of isolation has succumbed to the effects of global warming. The glacier melt has done what 10 years of villainous league airstrikes failed to do leaving Permafrost temporarily out in the cold. That was Wenling Chen reporting from SPR Anchorage. Legion headquarters has been accused of harvesting data on extraordinary civilians. What degree of privacy should superpowered people expect when it comes to their genetic code? Live from Washington, I'm Stephen Singh, joined by Brenna Flox, head of the Coalition for Empowerment. Hello, Stephen. And joining us by phone is Felix Brenner, author of My Secret Identity. Thank you for having me. 
By asking candidate cities for their information on supers, has the Heroic Legion created a breach of public trust? Brenna, we'll start with you. Okay, well, first of all, and this has not really been established, is the Heroic Legion actually mining this data? Because really, we don't know for sure. We have the claims of a lone vigilante, and that's it. And secondly, if they were, should they be allowed to? This isn't height or weight we're talking about, it's powers. This is uncharted territory, legally speaking. Now, what we do know for sure is that they've requested raw statistical data about supers from cities that have applied to Host Tower 2. And until we have established whether the Heroic Legion collected more information than that, I don't see the point in speculating. If, if, if I could just jump in here, the fact that they've been asking cities for this information is a matter of record. It was part of the application process. Whether they have been keeping this information is beside the point. The question is... For the everyday empowered person, what right do they have to opt out of this? This data is collected anonymously. The Legion has put the development of local talent high on its priority list. So how can it decide what city would be the best fit without knowing the scope of their potential pool? It'd be one thing if they were collecting personal data, but, but this is just census material. The base genetic data that can be found on any birth record. Even so, who consents to this? Back in the 1940s, it was suggested to have a super registry, and it was rejected. This collection of data make those of us who remember our history very nervous. Not to mention, Quantum himself has suggested there may have been some mismanagement. Is that true, Stephen? He has made inquiries, and I believe is planning on making a public address later this week. The Ultimate Speedster's findings have been described as fairly serious. It does seem that there are discrepancies. He tells us that the Legion is collecting more than basic census data, and if that is the case, then an important question isn't whether, but why. So Exactly the concern. In fact, if you look at the data... I'm sorry, we... I'm just getting breaking news from our press office, and we'll have to cut our segment short. Brenna and Felix, thanks for joining us today. That was Stephen Singh in Washington. It's 75 degrees here in Paradise City. Coming up next is 100% Invisible. This is 100% Invisible. I'm Aries Greco. The 1950s was an age of American innovation. In those 10 years, 3 million patents were issued for products and mechanisms that would change the American landscape. During the Golden Age, world powers wanted technology that would keep pace with an emerging generation of superheroes and villains. To foster this generation of inventors, the United States government instituted a new grant program vested with almost half a billion dollars, the U.S. Brain Power Alignment, or the USBPA. Author Felicia Castry has written a book about how one man wasted 10% of that money. The story begins in 1951, when Chicago trusted its safety to one hero. When evil hides in the shadows, the shadows hide back. Nowhere is secret from the Sultan of Snake. The Invisible Man, he is the Wisp. The Wisp was a surprisingly effective crime fighter, considering he really only had one trick. He could turn invisible. This is Felicia Castry. But as the city continued expanding, he ran into a problem. How do you get around? Lester Fielding. Now, that's a name everyone in R&D would like to forget. Bradley Evans is a research manager for Lockheed Martin. 
He's a legend in the industry the same way the Chupacabra is a legend. The boogeyman of disaster. Something you tell your kids when they start inventing impractical gadgets. I suppose you want to talk about the Casper. Lester Fielding was running a small gadget store on the west side of Chicago when the grant program started. And in a day that would change history, the Wisp came into his store asking what he knew about invisibility. As it happened, Lester knew a lot. With the Wisp's name recognition, they were able to secure $3 million to create a prototype. So Lester takes about three months in his workshop, and then he unveils the Casper, a completely functional, invisible car. Outfitted with an electric engine, it was totally silent. The Wisp could park outside a Mafia hangout, and no one would ever know. But an invisible car in Chicago? How would people avoid hitting it? Well, the short answer is, they didn't. Virtually every red light was an invitation for a collision. His first week in the city, he managed to be in 57 traffic accidents. So Lester looked at this problem and gave it a solution. Stronger bumpers. But the accidents kept happening, and it was worse when it was parked. Inevitably, someone would try to take the space, and it wasn't long before the Mafia associated the sounds of scraping metal and confused cursing with their foe. So what happened to it? They lost it. They lost it. They lost it. <laughs> After a couple of weeks, the Wisp was admitted to the hospital with severe whiplash, so he told Lester to recover the Casper. But the Wisp couldn't remember where it was parked, and... How do you find an invisible car? The military, though, took an interest. They just threw money at him. So he adapted his technology and helped build an invisible jet. There's not as much traffic at 35,000 feet. That's why a lot of very smart people expected the Casper technology would be better applied at altitude. This allowed the military to discover a host of exciting new problems, especially invisible jets are really hard to fly. Instruments help a pilot measure altitude, heading, and attitude, but they only help a pilot if you can read them. And the jet was, again, invisible on the inside. Lester was a brilliant engineer. That was never the problem. The problem was he gave people what they asked for, instead of what they wanted. <sighs> Lost a lot of good pilots before they closed that program down. They still have one of the birds in the air and space museum. Uh, we, we think. This was when Lester turned to a new field. Sonics. But that's another story. Thank you to Felicia Castri, author of The Invisible Car and Other Stupid Inventions from the World's Smartest Man, available wherever books are sold. And thanks to Bradley Evans and to the whole 100% Invisible team. We will be back next time with more stories of design. Support for SPR comes from Dollar Shoe Club. If you're a speedster, we feel your pain. 
There's nothing more annoying than having to buy a new pair of shoes after you wear the rubber down on yours to nubs. That's why we founded Dollar Shoe Club. For just a dollar a day, we'll send you a box of 30 pairs of running shoes sourced from defunct shoe companies around the world. Why go for quality when you can have quantity? Dollar Shoe Club. 30 pairs for $30. Shoes may not be matching size, brand, or foot. All purchases are final. Dollar Shoe Club. Live from SBR News in Washington, I'm Deirdre Wilson, sitting in for Stephen Singh. Supervillain Babylon has attacked the New Orleans Jazz Festival. SBR reporter Steve, Stephen Singh is, is on the scene. Stephen, can you hear us? Yes. The gunfire you are hearing is from local police that have responded en masse to the scene. But it appears that bullets and punches cannot penetrate Babylon's armor. Babylon has made the following demand, and I quote, Your gray-haired leaders have prevented my old friend Cosmos from receiving the warrior's death I owe him, and no other can hope to stand before me. Surrender your planet to me, and some of you may yet live. Has the heroic legion responded? The Southern Battalion. They are still en route, but Quantum has arrived on the scene. Oh my god, Quantum! And is attempting to subdue him. Quantum is a DC-based hero. What is he doing in New Orleans? His best. I will update you when I can. It is getting increasingly dangerous here on the scene. Stay safe, Steven. We will update the story as it develops. Now back to your scheduled program. That was Deirdre Wilson in Washington. It's 74 degrees here in Paradise City. Coming up next is These American Supers. From QSPZ Baltimore, it's These American Supers. I'm Ethan Schwartz. When we think of a supervillain, what do we picture? If you don't supply me with 10 metric tons of gold, I will destroy your precious moon! Do you imagine black rubber gloves, horns, red glowing eyes? They say not all heroes wear capes, but what about villains? Well, that's what our segment today, The Question, is all about. Uh, 1987, the green thumb had just stopped Dr. Riot from destroying the Amazon rainforest. Two months later, we were there doing pretty much the same thing. And that's when I first asked the question. Carter is retired now, but over three decades, he worked his way up to become VP of one of the largest multinational corporations on Earth, Eco Enterprises. We had been in negotiations with the locals for just over two years to give us access to develop the area, which in those days meant clear-cutting our way across, selling off the lumber, and setting up mining operations. It was a win-win. A couple weeks later, a bunch of the execs got a helicopter tour of the area, mostly an excuse to take a vacation to Brazil, drink caipiranhas, and hang out on the beach. So we're in the copter tour over the heart of the jungle, and then we get to the site. And it was just brown. This long, dead plain for miles. The only thing moving were the fellers driving up and down, tearing into old growth trees and loading up trucks. And one of my colleagues leans over and says, Thank God for the green thumb. And then the question came to me, and I, I couldn't get this thought out of my head. Are we supervillains? After that moment, Carter decided to cut his trip short. The question was haunting him. I didn't think any person at the company wanted to hold the world hostage or blow up Liechtenstein or anything like that, but 
thinking about some of the things the company as a whole would do, the incidentals, we'd call them. Taken together, it started to feel like the company itself had this secret evil agenda, and we were just its henchmen, carrying it out. Carter does not have any special powers per se, but he does have a gift for negotiating. In his time with the company, he was responsible for some $15 billion in asset acquisitions, or according to him, Acquisitions means a lot of things. Sometimes it's a startup, sometimes it's uh, patents, or a, a company we flagged as a competitor for a market. A lot of times it was resources. And there's only so much tantalum, for instance, and, and most of it's in Rwanda and the Congo. Not super business-friendly places, but when most smart devices need it to work, the company that has the supply chain is going to be the one to meet the demand. So they'd send me in to lay the groundwork. I'd talk to actual warlords and be working out deals. And of course, we couldn't sell them weapons because of treaties, but we could build a factory that made weapons. And it was all very legal, still is. How is it that you can talk to us about this? Didn't you sign an NDA? This is all public information. You call their PR team and they'll tell you about it. People just forget. <laughs> At this point, I think they probably could blow up Liechtenstein and the stock would level out after a few days. Remember the pipeline explosion in Anwar? Killed 65 people and destroyed the whole region's ecosystem. Let's see Dr. Riot do that. Three weeks of bad press and nothing. But the question came up again and again. That must have taken a toll on you. Every time I spent money on anything, I felt dirty. Like it was blood money, you know? But then you kept going back to work. Well, I, I had a family, and, well, it, it's kind of hard to find a successful corporation that isn't at least a little evil. When the feeling was really bad, I started to talk to people about it. I had to be careful. I, I asked old college friends, colleagues, the ones working for investment banks and Fortune 500 companies, and it, it started to seem like they were asking the same thing. Eventually, it was almost like we were forming our own little support group. It's not something you want to discuss openly. Yeah, one of my friends punched me in the mouth when I asked him about it. He said, great, now I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of my f***ing life. But, uh, you know, most people just had this big exhale, like they'd been holding it in for so long, they were finally getting to let it out. So once a month or so, a bunch of us would get together and have these sessions where we would basically just ask ourselves, is this okay? I mean, we tell each other it's legal. And if we were really doing something wrong, wouldn't someone try to stop us? Like, wouldn't we get a visit from the Legion? And that's how we would rationalize it. If, if we were working for the villains, where were the heroes? A lot of our companies were sponsors of the Heroic Legion. We hosted their softball league and before they lost their insurance for it. But it, it didn't feel like we were innocent. It just felt like we hadn't been caught. Then, in the winter of 2012, things changed. The world is still recovering from Eknaton the Lich, and all we can think is how can we profit from this? That's when the Heroic Legion raided Onet Industries. Onet Industries was an investment firm that was run by Victor Ellis. In 2012, the Heroic Legion discovered that Victor Ellis was also known as the Puppeteer, one of Goatman's main adversaries. No one got away clean. Onet had business with everyone. 
I guess that's why the puppeteer was always going on about his strings connecting the world. I had done deals with them. We were co-sponsors for the NYC Marathon back before 720. The point is, they were everywhere. And I think for those of us asking the question, it was... It was just weird to see what an actual supervillain does. And the thing is, it was a lot like what we were doing. Six board members were sent to jail. Two others were frozen into a glacier when Ellis was escaping. My friend, he was a junior partner. A great job, great life. And then one day later, he is suddenly a real life henchman. He was devastated. And he didn't go to jail, six months probation, but that was it for him. No one wanted to mess with the Legion, and he was marked. It, it, it's like he had bad guys stamped on his resume. This was the friend who had punched Carter in the mouth. It was then that I think a lot of us decided that maybe it wasn't worth taking the chance. A lot of people at my level retired around then. You know, some of us changed careers. Do you think that maybe Eco Enterprises had some dark secrets of their own? Yeah, no more than I did. I still don't think anyone there is a puppeteer-style bad guy. They all mostly just want to do what's good for the corporation. I just decided I had done enough. Saved enough that I didn't need to be doing it anymore. So, now I get to spend time with my kids, who are starting to have kids of their own. I'm volunteering at a youth shelter on weekends. Does it help? I get to bed early enough, but... Right before I drift off, I can almost feel the question hovering over me and it feels like I'm like I'm only a free man now because I was just a little more lucky than good. Carter's support group still meets regularly. Carter stops by to help people who are asking the question, but he warns them he may not like the answer. If you believe that you are working for a supervillain, their heroic legion has a tip line you can call toll-free at any time. You can find it on a link in the SPR. That's our show today. Thanks to everyone who put it together, including whoever keeps eating my lunch out of the staff fridge. It's like he had bad guys stamped on his resume. We'll be back soon with more of these American supers. Live from SPR News in Washington, I'm Deirdre Wilson. The situation in New Orleans has been resolved. The supervillain Babylon has been apprehended by Iron Barracuda and the main force of the Heroic Legion. We have early reports that while many are wounded, there are no civilian casualties on site, thanks to the heroic efforts of Quantum. Quantum was instrumental in the apprehension of Babylon, but has been severely injured in the encounter. He is currently at the Tulane Medical Center in critical condition. SBR reporter Stephen Singh has also been reported missing, while covering the event on site. We hope for his swift and safe return. We will update you as this story develops. That was Deirdre Wilson reporting from Washington. Today's show was written and produced by John Dorsey and Maximilian Clark. 
with additional producing by Brendan Sokler and Carla Lerner. This episode features the talents of Akia Wilson, Alexander Stott, Amanda Sykes, Bevan Bennett, Connor Maroney, Danielle Cohn, Danny Gavigan, Henry Packer, John Dorsey, Moni Aliama, Sarah Ellis, Sean Ahmed, Steve Hayes, Tiffany Clifton, and the SPR Players. With special thanks to Brenna Khalid. The SPR main theme was composed by Rock Lee. Other themes were composed by Steven Munoz. SPR is directed and edited by Maximilian Clark. SPR is supported by listeners like you. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review. You can also support SPR by heading to patreon.com and looking up Superhuman Public Radio. Patrons get access to ad-free episodes, interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. For more, head to superhumanpublicradio.com. Coming up next, brain slug extermination music. If you can't hear anything, that means the previous treatment worked. This is SPR. Brain slug extermination music begins in three, two, one. Fable and Folly Network. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. All the links to the show you've just heard are in the show notes below. Definitely check them out and subscribe to their feeds if you like what you heard today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Leviathan Presents, and maybe you've discovered a new show that you'd like to binge. We're looking forward to bringing you some more amazing audio dramas to discover and letting you meet some of the phenomenally talented creators that are driving this renaissance in audio fiction today. Stay subscribed to this feed for more installments of Leviathan Presents, as well as all the full episodes of the Leviathan Chronicles, the Rapscallion Agency, the Invenios Expedition, and all the other spinoffs we have planned. This is Christoph signing off for now. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be talking to you all real soon. Bye now. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, 
and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.